Welcome back, everybody, to Goonies World. I am Johnny Farrell, also known as Sean, and I am joined remotely by Meanie, also known as Ryan. What's up, man? And also remotely, I am joined by Goonie, also known as Colin. Sup? And today we are continuing with part three of our Druids of Dragondale adventures. A game within a game. And I'm going to just put... In fact, I think where we stopped, uh, the boys had just uh, made some pizza rolls. They were taking a break. Plunger had gone down to the big house to make some pizza rolls. So I imagine he's fresh back upstairs. Uh, in Hot out of the oven, not the microwave. Yes, that's right. Yes, microwave. That's why I had to go down to the big house, because they actually have a microwave up here. Uh, when, I, when I say up here, for the uneducated listener who may have just tuned in, we're in the loft above a garage, a detached garage, in the Sugarbush neighborhood, or on the fringes of the Sugarbush neighborhood, in Jupiter Springs, a fictional town in Northern California, in the 1980s, where three boys... Two rather nerdy and one not. The one who's not is Chip Estrada, uh, kind of a young punk. And I mean, he, I think he's, I think he's nerdy, but I think he just is like in denial about it. He, I don't think he's necessarily as smart as his friends, maybe, but he's also like, he just he doesn't want to be a nerd, but it's kind of inevitable. I think he, he outsmarted Dicky <laughs> and those. Uh, Riddles. Oh, he certainly sure. did. He certainly did. <laughs> um, yes, yes, he was very wise. This seemed to irritate Dickie, the, the wisdom. <laughs> that she, but anyway, we are there now in the in the 80s, in the in the upstairs garage. And uh, uh, unless anything else happens, Plunger looks like he's ready to, to get rare and to go with it. He's got his, uh, you know, Game Master screen set up. And... Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, everybody settled. Everybody had a nice little break. Everybody take a potty break. Yes. What are you, my mom, worrying about my potty habits? I'm ready to go. All right. Well, how about you, Chip? Are you ready to go? Um. Yeah, man. Just, just like, um, I think I, you know, just want you hand hand me some of those pizza rolls, bro. Because like, that's right here. Come on. Right, you, you gotta watch me. Don't be hogging. You gotta watch don't me. Don't be hogging pizza rolls. You gotta watch me around a tray of pizza rolls. I will just eat them all up. As you can tell from my physique, uh, there's one thing that um, defeats all my efforts at Fat Camp every summer, and that is a winter-long binge on pizza rolls and uh, marshmallow fluff and other assorted substances. However, I am, of course, speaking as Plunger. The other kid up here is Dickie. I started introducing them all earlier and got sidetracked with Chip. But Chip Estrada is up here, and then Plunger... And Dickie, longtime friends, all three of these guys, veterans of several kids on bikes episodes and uh, Springs episodes and other episodes in the past. But so, are you guys ready to descend once again into the world of Druids of Dragondale? Yes, let's push play on the tape recorder. All right, here we go.
Okay, so as you'll remember, you've just met the Amber Princess after storming through her castle and fighting Sir Ocelot and Sir Puma and Sir Lynx and some of the other ill-mannered suitors who had come here to demanding to marry her. But you've defeated them and you've come up the trap-laden staircase and you've opened the lock to her room with the huge key that you got from the hermit who lives out in the woods that you got from answering riddles and you see the most beautiful Gelf princess you've ever seen standing there she says I am the amber princess she has lovely amber hair and the room is bathed in amber light for the amber cone turrets on the top of the castle are actually made of real amber and light is shining down through them upon her Whoa. and you stand in awe at her beauty so like how hot is she i mean on, on I mean, a scale like... she's not even on a human scale as a gelf she is like semi-radiant uh in a very literal sense but uh it's like on a scale of one to ten she's like sort of a 27. whoa uh, uh, my lady uh i am uh <coughs> I am Wendell Woolbeard, a druid of Dragondale. Would you permit me to perhaps kiss your hand? It would be rude of me not to offer my hand, she says, to the gentlemen who have rid my palace of those ill-mannered suitors. And she holds out her hand for both of you to kiss it. Yes. Oh, I shall kiss it now. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, kiss it, Chip. I forgot. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna kiss it as well. I'm gonna kiss it as well. All right. Except, yeah. Good to see the accent back there, Chip. Now, after kissing her hand, she says, "Those men were determined to marry me, but there's only one man who I may marry. The man who holds the ring, the special ring, the ring." emblazoned with the sign of a crescent sun made from commemoration of a time many moons ago when the sun disappeared briefly during the day. And with this ring, the Gelf Lord Derek, long ago, descended into the keep in the south, was never heard from again. And since that time, of course, as you know, the keep has descended into ruin and has become a heap on the borderlands, and the Gelf Lord Derek lost within it, and the ring as well. And ancient magic has foretold that I may only marry he who carries the ring. And of course, he must possess certain other attributes as well, she says. But you didn't tell me Derek was a, a Gelf Lord. <laughs> well, actually, I've persuaded Derek to play with me once or twice in solo games when I was first testing out the system. And uh, he was kind enough to humor me. And uh, in fact, that that is what happened to his character. He was killed. I'm not going to say by what. Um, because you might encounter it. But anyway, yeah, she explains to you that she can only marry he who carries this, this magical ring. But, but it was lost long ago. Well, I haven't got no ring. Have you got a ring, Wendell? Uh, no, but I... I'm afraid I am already married to Mother Nature. Uh, were I another class, 
I would surely love to find that ring and wed you. Well, I'm afraid the ring is lost forever, for I don't believe anyone has the courage required to delve into the heap on the borderlands. Why, my lady, we are headed there now, and that's the place we seek. So we do have the courage. Wait, is that where the ring is? There's a ring in the freaking um, heap. That is what it, it must be, for that is where Lord Derek disappeared lo these many thousands of years ago. Then. But I certainly could not marry such an older gentleman anyway, so I respect that you're already married to Mother Nature. But any other young man who possesses qualities of leadership and charisma and is good of heart, whether he be neutral good of heart or lawful good of heart or chaotic good of heart, could certainly, with that ring and the power of magic, unlock the key to my heart. And then he would be the rightful ruler of these lands. And we would have to do something about Lord Richard in the Tower Town. But as I say, even if you were to brave the dangers of the keep, I don't know why you could succeed where the great Lord Derek could not. Oh, but my hopes do go with you. You must stay here tonight and receive my hospitality. By which, of course, I mean the guest bedroom. And... <sighs> I certainly have some cleaning to do because I do not have a maid and I'm afraid those ill-mannered suitors left rather a mess down in the Great Hall. Uh, uh, are we to, re to receive two separate guest rooms? Are we in the same guest room? I'm afraid you must share the same guest room. As you can see, this palace is rather a small palace. Almost uh, just built for a single princess. And again, if, if you will recall, it is more like a smaller sort of fairy tale size, scaled down palace nestled in the uh, enchanted woodlands. But when you first came up the stairs to this level, you immediately went to the door with the large keyhole. And on the opposite end of the corridor is the door with a small keyhole. It is that room to which she now leaves you, where you find a very dusty, and not used in many, many years, guest bedroom, but can, it's very quickly made presentable into your weary, after your long journeys and weary fights and, and, uh, flight from an ogre jelly and flight from a merman and other, uh, things you've encountered in the woods. I'm sure that you don't mind the dust and have a nice, quiet place to sleep to fortify yourself for. I hope, hope there's bunk beds. There is not. There is merely one large canopied bed. Well, because uh, we forgot about Silas once again. He's... Silas uh, always prefers to sleep curled up at the foot of the bed. Okay. And this is why we need to invite Lance from Drama Club to play our game so he could play Silas or a reasonable facsimile thereof. So I'm just telling you, the next time we do this and record it, I think we should get Lance from... Drama Club, I know it's not a popular opinion, and we won't digress with it, but... Um, do both of you behave yourselves that evening? Uh... I think, uh... Of course, there's... No, no peeping at keyholes. No peeping through extra-large keyholes at sleeping princesses. Do either oh, of you want to help her? Don't tempt me, Plunger. <laughs> 
Do either of you want to help her clean up the wreckage that the uh, fooders have left behind downstairs? Yeah, I mean, they were kind of jerks, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna like help her clean clean up the mess. Uh, I'm just a third wheel. I'm just gonna go get in bed and sleep and regain my health. As you go back to sleep, indeed, feeling a bit like a third wheel, because as some of us know in real life, it's not always easy getting old. When you realize that the youth and beauty that you once possessed has passed you by, and you think of the beautiful Gelf princess downstairs talking to the handsome young pugilist. But you are indeed married to Mother Nature, and you are married to your magic craft, and it is these things that will give a man comfort in his old years. But as you are sleeping, you, Mike Tyson, the pugilist, are downstairs sweeping up in the shadowy Great Hall. It is, of course, night has, of course, fallen outside. And the Great Hall is a long table in front of the fireplace where the suitors had uh, spilt much wine and so on and so forth. And as you're sweeping up in there with her, she says to you, If you wish to avoid the road, because I thought I heard you saying something about an ogre jelly who is underneath the bridge, there is a secret path through the forest to the keep. Not many know of it. But you must follow it. It is made with carvings upon trees. It will be very old. It will be much grown over by now. But you keep an eye upon them. Your friend, the old man, should be very adept at uh, keeping his eye out for them. If you wish to avoid the road and perhaps saving yourself much time and costly and possibly dangerous delays, it would be, I believe you should be able to pick it up somewhere in the south. But I must warn you, says the princess, that this route will lead you past some standing stones. Whatever you do, do not look into the barrows that are underneath the standing stones. For within those barrows dwell the horrible barrow blights. And if the blights look at you with their shining eyes, you will disintegrate. That's right. The blights' eyes can make you fall apart if you're not careful. Please, whatever you do, do not look into those caves, despite the great treasure that is said to be within them. Well, thanks for the advice. Um, uh, So, don't look into the caves, is what you're saying. Yes, underneath the standing stones, there are old barrows, burials, burials of wicked men, of long... men so wicked that it makes those wicked men you fought here near this palace look like like um, like little dandelions these wicked men were buried long ago beneath the standing stones and ever will they attempt to beckon those who are in the world of the living to come join them in their dark holes but whatever you do do not stare into the eyes that you see staring out I merely give you this as a good bit of advice, since you must take this dark road tomorrow. If you wish to avoid them, by all means, go back along the path where you've already come, where there is a bridge with the ogre jelly beneath it, and perhaps it will have gone on. Well, in your opinion, then, what's the what's worse, the the ogre jelly or the um, barrow 
Blight? Is that what you call them? Barrow Blight? That's right, Barrow Blight with their blight eyes. Well, I wouldn't know about such things. I have been living here in this palace almost my entire life. So I cannot, I cannot say for sure, but I am certain that the ogre jelly is a horrific beast. Nevertheless, I must bid you good night. I am weary from this long afternoon and evening cleaning. Please, see yourselves out in the morning as I prefer to sleep in late. And I do hope, fair young warrior, that you are able to find the, the ring. For I would rather marry you than many a man that I've seen come through here below these many years. And she gives you a little kiss on the cheek. And then she goes up to her boudoir and locks the door very firmly and securely. Well, I guess I'm just going to go, like, sleep on the floor in the guest room or something. I mean, You're not going to take know. a peep? It's really tempting, i got to be honest, but it just seems really, like, rude. I think well, they, they do that in the movies all the time. Well, this isn't Porky's, though. This is, like... Let's... <laughs> <laughs> a little more Tolkien than Porky's, but I'm sure that Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds someday are gonna stand the test of time and and <laughs> 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 not gonna be looked bad upon at all. I'm sure, I'm sure you're absolutely correct. But um, let us just take that, take the thread that the evening passes without incident, as you both lie awake in the dark, thinking many tempting thoughts as people often do. But leaving quite early the next morning and leaving the castle of the Amber Princess behind you, you indeed see that uh, directly to the south of the castle, there is a field, and beyond that field, there is a forest. And this must be where the, the secret path with the tree carvings, there's the more direct route to the heap that the princess spoke to you of the night before. Or you could go back the road from whence you came. <laughs> go back from whence you came upon the road. Uh, uh Chip, are you? Is, is Mike gonna ever tell uh, Wendell uh, what you heard? Well, yeah, totally. Um, should we, we? I don't know. I guess we should do it in character. Hold on. <clears throat> Oh, so uh, when we was cleaning up the mess down there, the princess done told me that we could go. Uh, there's a shortcut we could take. Oh, oh, oh. yes. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, a shortcut, you say? Oh, where does this short? What it lies in the path of this shortcut? Well, it's to the south here, and um, there's a. Apparently, it's marked in the trees with carvings, but apparently, there's some standing stones, and if we look. Uh, we, we're not to look at the stones because there's barrow blights there. Oh, barrow blights. Oh, yes, I know of these. I know all about them. Do not stare at them, uh, for it's bad. So it, so it is rumored. So it is indeed rumored. However, the uh, the shortcut at least has the uh, the benefit of not being the same boring old path that you've already trodden upon. So, unless I hear great dissent among the party, 
I'll assume that you trot off after the very silent Silas Seeker, your shadow specialist companion, as he uh, moves off towards the south. But I'm afraid it is up to you, Wendell, being a master of nature, to use your wisdom to track the path through the forest, looking for the marks of the crescent sun upon the trees. And yeah. very old and grown over. So I need to roll something? Wisdom? Make your wisdom roll. Please roll higher than a 10 in order to succeed. Otherwise, I'm afraid you could become lost. Oh, 19. Easy. Well, without difficulty at all, you spend most of the day deep within the woods. Often your feet get tangled up in brambles, but you always manage to find the very next carving just at the edge of your vision and traveling along throughout again throughout most of the day nearly to mid-afternoon and finally without incident you come back upon the very path that you left before only you can tell it's much further along now and it is going down the hill and out of the woods and into some barren lands the forest begins to peter out up ahead of you and there are some bald and naked hills Oh, occasionally there is a tangle of brush and scrabbly-looking trees. But a high wind begins to howl as you walk out upon these barren and desolate lands. Surely, you must be getting into the vicinity of the heap on the borderlands. For you have heard that the fecundity of the soil for many miles around the what? The, it means the fertility of the soil. The uh, nothing will grow anymore for many miles around uh, the, the heap, or so it yeah, is said. Of course. Now, and as the sun is setting, you see silhouetted on a hill above you some great standing stones with cross beams. Of course, this kind of looks like Stonehenge, you guys. Only there's just one of them, right? You see these up on the top of the hill. The light is slanting down through them indeed. Just as the princess told you, there is a great yawning mouth that looks out upon the path. The path that you are on is forced to go quite near it, well within 30 yards or so, before the path veers off to the direct south. And as you, as you approach, you hear a voice from inside the yawning mouth that leads into the barrel. Come in. Come in and join us. Now, I'm going to ask both of you to save versus spells, except your save in this case is not 10, but 13. The role of the barrel blight was attempting to call you in. Please make it your save and yes. beat the number 13. Uh, yep, I got like a 20, 21. V- yes, you were I able to. 23. Oh my, well, you're both able to withstand the pull you feel in your heart to come and join the barrel blight inside its barrel. But you pull back, and as you do so, Eyes begin to wink open in the darkness before you. Quickly, make another save and look away. Don't look. This time, 
This time, uh, oh man, just a ten, please. Twenty-eight this time. Luckily, and I see it appears that uh, that Mike Tyson has also succeeded. Uh, yeah, Mike got a twenty-two, so not as good as uh, Wendell. But... So you have not looked into the blight eyes, and therefore you will not disintegrate. Because every now and then you fall apart if you turn around and see blight eyes. Now, moving on down the road and up the hill ahead of you. You can see what first to be, appears to be merely a jumble of stones, a heap of rock upon the hill. But every now and then, there is some regularity within it, some old column or buttress. And you realize that this must be the heap on the borderlands. Because again, for many miles around this central hill, it is a barren and desolate land. There's a few scattered bird calls and the ugly calls of insects. Other than that, it is quite silent, other than the ever-present howling of the wind. You see no sign of activity or life in this heap of ruins before you. But night is slowly beginning to fall. So I will assume that uh, you'll light some torches against the darkness. Uh, yes, uh, torches. I've got three torches. I will light one of them. Very well. Now, would you like to, uh, circumnavigate the, uh, the ruins and see if there's some clear entrance? Surely there must be. You've heard so many stories about folks who have come here and been lost. I wonder where they've gotten in at. Would you like to take a look around? or? Uh, Silas, why don't you check it out first? Very well, I shall. Says Silent Silas. If there's any traps, he's gonna... He comes find. rushing back. He goes to the opposite side of the entire heap, but he comes rushing back quite quickly. And beckons you, beckons you to follow. And on the back side of the keep, indeed, you see the any posterior entrance to the place. That a, means but A great bunghole of a door. It's a round door with a knob in the exact middle. And it looks also to be heavily overgrown. And Silas gestures to you, shows you this. I will now see if it is trapped, he says. I guarantee you it's not trapped. But I have to well, tell you, as you can see from, I, as you can see from what I've just rolled, he failed that roll. He does not really know if it's trapped or not. Yes, well, and that means we don't know either. See, we have to play as our characters, Chip, and our characters don't know. Uh, so, well, I'm just going to open the open the door then. Well, I think that that's a... Well, and, and Wendell jumps way back <laughs> before that ever happened. Well, I'm afraid you did not that's say that until uh, you, you were doing that. That's what he was going to do before. No, you were doing he that as, he, as he is opening the door. You are jumping backwards. But yanking the door open causes the whole thing to fall out forward upon you. And so... I will allow Wendell a save. 
but not at a 10, at a 15 to jump out of the way. And I'm afraid that, well, I'm rolling very low for damage, so you should be very happy, but uh, I'm afraid that Mike Tyson takes three points of damage as the heavy door falls and lands on his toe. Has merely been resting here, appearing to be the thick. Would have crushed the little munchkin, or uh, could potentially have hurt much worse. But you got you got very lucky, both of you. Except, I'm assuming that since you're not screaming in pain, Dicky, that you made that save and jumped yes. out of the way. <laughs> yes, I did. Very good. Well, inside is complete darkness. Of course, you have your torch. And there's only one thing to do, clearly, is to go inside the heap. Now this is towards the bottom of the hill, so this must be underneath all the ruins above. You have heard that beneath the heap on the borderlands runs the maze of chaos. Whether it is truly a maze or merely a series of underground chambers, you do not know. But you have certainly found the entrance, if you are brave enough to go forth. Are either of you brave enough to go forth? Or are you going to send Silas in? You don't even need to ask that. Of course we are. But Silas, you know, he's sneaky, so maybe he should lead the way. Well, well, before, like anything, I'm going to just, like, drink one of these uh, uh, healing potions, because I've, like, taken some damage. Oh, uh, don't forget that uh, we slept... Uh, in the uh, castle, so we should have some hit points back for that. You get five hit points back from resting. Okay, but I'm also going to take uh, my last healing potion. Well, now seems like a good time to do it before you go lunging into the dungeon. We're like plunging into the dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Plungering into the, the dungeon. Oh, that wasn't as good. Dungeon right. plungers? That's what, that's, I'm going to start a game, my own game. Because I see several clear points in the rules where Larry Lorax could have uh, done better. And I'm going to start my own game called Dungeon Plungers. Write it up. That sounds cool. I'm going to write that one down or I'm going to forget that. Alright, All right, guys. So it sounds like we're going to drink up our health potions and go plunging into the dungeon. And in the flickering torchlight, you see a large room with a vaulted ceiling. There's a passage that leads off to your left, but it's a narrow passage. Mostly there's a passage that leads off, there's a large vaulted passage that leads off deeper ahead of you. And of course, there could be any number of secret doors in a place like this. But there are some heaps and piles of refuse over in one corner. It almost looks like lawn clippings, however, which is odd to find here. There's piles of lawn clippings and grass and leaves over in one corner. That's what you see. There is, of course, the narrow passage off to your left. And then, of course, the broader passage that leads deeper beneath. I wonder if that, uh, if those grass clippings are from a groundskeeper of some kind. Like the one at our school. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Do you wish to investigate the uh, piles of. Uh, oh, I think 
There could be a magic ring in one of them. I'm going to poke at it with my staff. Okay. Suddenly there's a terrible scream and up jumps the, the piles of grass. There are three of them. You realize they are horrible... They're not actually grass, but they're horrible dog-like creatures. Only they have humanoid bodies with hyena-like faces, and they're covered with long grassy fur. You realize you have encountered some grassy gnolls. And the grassy gnolls howl with rage. And please, roll initiative. They get a one, so you might as well not even roll because players win ties. So pugilists always go first. There are three grassy gnolls ahead of you. What do you do? Um, I'm going to try to hit one with my sword. Well, I think that's an excellent idea. And of course, uh, if you can kill it, let's not forget that you have a cleave ability. But I don't think you can kill it in one blow, but you never know. With exploding dice, which is a... Uh, what is our class? class is 14. Oh, that's going to hit. Um, almost a clean 19. That certainly hits. Oh, crap. Sounds like... Well... Yeah, I rolled a one for damage, so that'll be eight. Well, every little bit helps, of course, as we say. And then uh, Silas, meanwhile, uh, let's not forget about quick little Silas. He um, he attempts to go back into that uh, narrow hallway that goes off to the left and hide so that he can uh, leap out, perhaps, and do a backstab on a future round. And what is Wendell Woolbeard doing? Uh, how many of these grassy gnolls are there? There are three terrible grassy gnolls. All right, you gnolls. I'm going to cast sudden stalagmites. Uh, or is it stalagmites? Yes, they come up from the bottom. Yes, it's a very powerful spell. And as you uh, say the enchanted words, suddenly rock spikes erupt from the floor underneath the grassy gnolls. And I believe that will do 3d6 damage to them, if I'm not mistaken, Dickie. Yes. Okay, that will also hit multiple ones of them, so we will 3d6 and apply it to all of them. Ooh, 10 points for each. Very nice. So that's uh, 18, of course, to one of them, who's already taken some damage, and then 10 to the other. But they... Are, they, they <clears throat> howl and leap backwards out of the way of the uh, of the sudden spikes which are now just there in the floor they could potentially obstruct pathways and things like that but not the way you've cast it at this moment and finally it becomes their turn because this is the bottom of the round they lost initiative and now howling again with rage they attack the one who is the most damaged attacks um, um, Mike Tyson and is going to get a 19 which I think is exactly what we need to hit Mike Tyson, unless I'm mistaken. Nope, you're right. Okay, then Mike Tyson will take 13 points of damage from a vicious spiked club that the grassy knoll has whipped out. Oh, man. The other one decides that uh, it better kill what it sees as a terrible wizard, and it rushes towards Wendell Woolbeer, but misses with a 9. However, his friend does the same thing, but also misses with an 8. Therefore, Wendell has been ganged up upon by two of them. They seem to have lost sight of Silas for the moment. And uh, one of them is viciously fighting Chip. Or oh, excuse me, Mike Tyson. 
And that is the end of the round, so let us roll initiative for the next round. Oh no, they've got a six. They might be able to follow up with their... Ah, uh, one. Oh, well, that's very, very bad. So, um, Mike Tyson is immediately attacked again, but this time missed because I roll a 17. And then the two that are attacking... Oh no! I think a 18 hits Wendell Willbeard. Is that not correct? Yes. And he will take 10 points of damage. And the uh, next... Oh, no! He's hit again! Again? Yes. By the other... By the, they're attacked by two of them, but I'm rolling very low this time. In fact, they roll three points of damage for you there. And now it is your turn, and, I, and uh, Mike Tyson will go first. All right, he's going to hit the one he already hit once. Still attacking with his long sword, I assume. Yeah, for uh, 14 that time. Okay. Well, that's more like it. That's the type of damage we need to do. We've done 34 points of damage to that particular one so far. And suddenly there's this, a great, uh, uh, sudden rush of, of movement. And out of the darkness, Silas comes running up to backstab one of the ones that is fighting Wendell, and he succeeds, so he will roll his damage and then quadruple it, which will be 40 points of damage, which kills that one. And one of them... Silas. Silas gives you a thumbs up. No, he actually gives you that sign on From Big Trouble in Little China that the, uh, the gang gives each other. That means good job, buddy. You give You're him that so cool, Silas. Yeah, Silas is pretty cool. All right. So that's uh, his turn. And now, Wendell, we have your turn. All right. Time to unsheath my Vorpal sword. Plus two. Of chaos, no less. Of chaos. And I miss... And uh, no, I don't like that. Well, you miss, and no, nobody likes missing. And that's the bottom of the round. And so, hopefully, you guys can win initiative this round. I have a four over here. What do you guys have? Uh, I better let you roll. No okay. good. I'll see here. Now, one. <laughs> oh, well. The, uh, our, one of the grassy gnolls is, of course, dead. But his companion goes ahead and uh, attacks Wendell, but misses. And the one that's fighting you, Mike Tyson, also misses with his great gnarly club. They're, of course, howling and making all kinds of noise. If there's any other creature in here anywhere on this level, you know they, they obviously know something's up with these grassy gnolls. And, uh, and that was their turn. And now uh, we will start with our pugilist. Who's going to hit again? And hopefully take this guy out. Hopefully. Ooh, 12 points. 12 points of damage kills that one. There is one left. Um, Silas will go ahead and attack it, but he misses. What about you? Go Wendell, you can do it. All right. Okay, I hit that time. There you go. Ten damage. Okay, nicely done. And uh, I believe you guys had lost the initiative, right? And then you went, so that is now a new turn. I have a three for initiative here. Uh, I don't want to have to uh, 
make a phone call here, but I just realized I killed one and didn't didn't get to attack it. Well, <clears throat> I guess uh, it's also player's responsibility to remember, of course, all these things. Can't remember everything, but uh, we'll go ahead and allow you to have one more attack real quick. Let's see if I can maybe take him down. Well, it's going to hit for 13. 13 is certainly a lot. You've done 33 points of damage to this thing, but it's not enough to take it down. Now let's go and roll initiative, and it got a three. One again. Gosh. Well, it turns and tries to run up the side passage, so you may make free attacks upon it, parting shot as it tries to flee up the, the, the passage to the left. Got him. Let's see. I got this coward. Uh, nine damage. That is enough to do it. It was almost dead. And now you've killed the three grassy gnolls. And relative quiet descends upon the place again. You're not quite sure where he was running to. But it was definitely up that left-hand passage. It was slightly narrower. Well, there could be more whole... Uh, nest of these things. Uh, oh, I could cast one of my spells I just waiting to cast. So if we find a chamber full of these things, I can cast Gagging Gas Cloud. Well, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you'll find a chamber full of something up ahead. So let's go then. Well, do you want to follow up the uh, narrow left-hand passage where the grassy knoll was attempting to flee, or do you go up the much broader passage, at least deeper into the uh, into the side of the well, into the, uh, into the hill that the uh, heap is built upon? Well, I think uh, I yeah, I want to go in on this, this narrower one to see. It see might what he's be trying to get to perhaps magic things there. Perhaps, perhaps. We're creeping up the narrow hallway with, with Silas taking the lead, I'm sure. It does not go very far before it opens up into an oddly shaped room that I won't bother to try to describe exactly, other than to say there's uh, some heaps of foul bedding and things like that on the floors. And uh, there's a little hallway that almost looks like a closet perhaps like a little small hallway that leaves it like a little closet door maybe at the end of that um, looking through the, the foul bedding you do not see anything of particular value certainly no obvious magical items there's a foul and disgusting things that such creatures leave behind but it also appears that this is not uh the bedding of the of the grassy knolls who are man-sized creatures this is the bedding of very small creatures very very small creatures there's some remnants of a little pot of beans that they've been eating as well like munchkin munchkin sized sized, yes munchkin sized or maybe even smaller you've already run into some hoblins out in the woods there'd be something about the size of a hoblin perhaps <clears throat> but other than that, there's nothing obvious in this room. There's that little narrow hall that leads off to a little closet door type yeah, of thing. I think they're hiding in the closet. And I'm going to s- sneak up to it. And, uh, and I'm going to yank it open. Well, you yank it open very quickly. And 
A staff falls out and clatters on the ground next to you. It, indeed, it's just a small closet. Nothing. There's no monsters hidden inside, but there was an old staff. It is actually a twisted and beautifully carved old staff. Would you like to take a closer look at it? Oh, yes. My passion staffs. I shall examine it. When you pick it up, you see that it's made of a wood that you cannot even identify. Some kind of very, very dark wood, like an ebony. Oh, some exotic wood this almost is. seems to have uh, sparkles or glitter embedded within it. You realize that you hold in your hand a staff of spell doubling, which doubles the amount of daily spell that you may cast. I'm invincible. Just then, a secret door behind you in the room bursts open, and screaming and running into the room are about a dozen tiny little kobos. Everybody knows about kobos, these small creatures who inhabit dungeons, who delight in eating beans and traveling around from dungeon to dungeon, living the kobo life. There are about a dozen of them, but as they burst into the room and see these mighty warriors standing before them, they actually look a tiny bit threatened. Maybe you'll be able to scare them off, but we'll see. First of all, you're not completely surprised, so let's roll initiative. But they got a one, so let's not bother, because players are uh, tied. Yeah. What do you guys do? A dozen little kobos leaping and dancing and snarling about you. Can you uh, uh, just uh, forego your uh, um, actions to f- uh, let me go, uh, Chip? Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll wait for you if you want to cast, like, Gag and Gas Cloud on Yes, uh... Well, the rules, you, say, the rules say the pugilist may go first. It does not say he must go first. So, I will allow it. Good, uh... Of course, you, I, you don't want to run out of this room, though, because you're in the room that you're gagging, you're casting gagging glass cloud in. Yes. I... If I... If time permits, I will, uh, run to the, uh, opening where we came in and cast... Uh, gagging the gas cloud and choke on that, you bean eaters. <laughs> well, I think it's a great idea. Of course, you ran, but no one else in the party has run yet. So you run to the door and you cast gagging gas cloud. Suddenly, the entire Hold room fills with noxious and horrible <clears throat> gases. Um, Chip and Silas are, are just helpless with agony. Um, but since they're player characters, I'm going to give them saves. Uh, normally, a creature wouldn't get a save in this situation. And um, I'm going to have to have a save from you, um, Mike Tyson, in order not to be overcome with agony and nausea. Uh, I rolled a 17. That's, well, I rolled a 10. That's, but. that's good. Uh, Silas also barely... He, both of you crawl out a few seconds later, but uh, all you, you can hear the screams of the Kobos that they roll around and gag and uh, um, unfortunately this it's not like a door there's not like a, a door here you just came into this area you know the doorway so but mostly that gas cloud should contain itself within the room in which it was cast you feel pretty confident about that they should be out of it for at least like uh, oh gosh at least 15 minutes if not more and that's an eternity inside a little dungeon like this so great way to uh, avoid a uh, fight with uh, 12 nasty little kobos 
Because you wouldn't want their little wicked daggers to, to get inside you. Because when that when they do, you must save versus death. Because the Kobo himself is not a great danger, but is the poison that the Kobo creates. Probably made from beans. Must be why they like to eat beans so much. You think that they'd be more, uh, they'd have a greater tolerance for gagging gas clouds, you know, eating as much beans as they do. Yeah. But, but they don't. And so now I'm afraid we must move on out of this area, but you have found yourself the, uh, the staff of spell doubling. And, uh, there, of course, there's a secret room as they came from, you know that, but I'm afraid you must leave it unexplored, lest you should have to walk back through the gagging gas cloud. The way, of course, back to the main room is quite clear, where you fought the grassy knolls. And as I said earlier, there was a broader hallway leading more directly off, uh, deeper into the great mound of the ruin. And as you, as you have moved slowly up this hallway, you see that again to the left, there's another very short hallway, only about five feet long, which ends in a stout and heavily locked door. Otherwise, the hallway also continues on before you into the darkness. But in your flickering torchlight, you can see that on the left-hand wall, the little alcove with a stoutly locked door. Do you wish to... Uh, Explore this little room or leave it behind you. Uh, well, we gotta see what's in there. Um, does, uh, do you have a key uh, that would fit this lock? Well, Silas has some uh, lock picking tools, and uh, I'm sure that Silas can be prevailed upon, except I think maybe I'll have you guys roll for Silas. Uh, just to preserve a little suspense. Can I aid him? There are no helping rules in uh, Druid of the Dragon Day. I'll have to, I'll have to look I, into that for uh, Dungeon I'm just going to pat his back while he's picking the lock. Well, he does, he, he does really appreciate the, uh, the pat on the back. Yeah. Good job, buddy. Yeah, that's um, right. So uh, you may go ahead and roll and add a six. You need higher than a 10. So just don't roll lower than uh, a four. 21. Well, Silas, thanks to that pat on the back, is able to pick the lock. And you look in upon a room that seems much older than the rest of the surrounding ruins. Because the rest of these things have been, the rest of the corridors you've been going through have been paved with flagstones and bricks on the walls. But in here is a, a raw chamber hewn from the living rock. And in the center of this small room, it's not a very large room at all, in the center of this small room is a sarcophagus. And upon the lid is carved the effigy of a warrior of ancient times. Beneath, often these, these warriors were buried with great treasure. Perhaps if you were to remove the lid from the sarcophagus, well, you could take yeah. whatever treasure lie within. But I know that sometimes these uh, burials are, uh, there's curses laid to he who open them disturb the bones and all that we better proceed with caution but oh man i just gotta see what's in there well how do you guys want to open it do you want to like tip the thing off or do you want to lift it up together or how would you like to do that hmm meanwhile you don't silas is listening at the door just to make sure there's no you know organized groups of uh 
dungeon denizens running around behind you because every you know every minute counts really but everything's worth exploring I agree I think the trick is to, to show that the, we're not uh, we don't uh, anger this the spirit of this uh, fallen warrior is just to be really respectful so approach uh, non-threateningly and slide the uh, tomb open or the sarcoph- sarcophagus open okay and, uh, yeah would you like to go ahead and do that Dickie yes okay please make a strength roll even higher than a 10 Okay. Maybe if you're not strong enough to do it, you can get some help. Natural 20. Excellent. Not only do you you get it off easily and set it aside, and inside you're almost expecting to see some undead warrior of the ancient days leap out of you, but no. No, indeed. Inside there's merely a pile of dust and ashes. But lying atop the pile of dust and ashes... It's a gleaming sword of blue steel with a gleaming yellow gold handle. It is a gorgeous broadsword fit for a warrior. Um, well. There is a small symbol engraved just at the base of the blade. Please make an intelligence roll to recognize the symbol. Well, this should be a piece of cake for me. Why don't you give it a go? Why don't you try? Uh, I got an eight. He does not know what it is. Oh, well, I guess I overestimated you. I'll try it. Maybe he's just really good at riddles. (laughs) Yes, uh, I got a 21. What you see is the ancient sign of neutrality. Before you, you have the fabled blade that was thought lost long ago. The neutral Avenger. Plus two broadsword. Plus two to hit and plus two damage. Neutral Avenger. Congratulations. Well, and I'm assuming uh, that uh, the the pugilist uh, shall take this sword. I I already have uh, my sword. Would you like to reach in and take the sword? Uh, okay. All right. You reach in and take the sword. And as you do, you can see that the, the, the way the ashes are distributed change. And uh, you know like how on Raiders of the Lost Dark, when Indiana Jones takes that little golden skull and changes it's not the right weight, something but the weight changes. And no one ever checked for a trap. And you hear a clicking sound, and suddenly hot steam shoots up from the base of the, from the interior of the sarcophagus, spraying the ashes all around the room. Please. Everyone. Well, there is no save. From hot, scalding steam, you all take seven points of damage. But that's the worst of it. There's not much pressure left in this ancient trap, perhaps. And yes, you just might have breathed in a little bit of the uh, grave dust of whoever once owned the neutral Avenger. But he must have been a great, a lord of great neutrality to have carried such a blade. And I'll assume that we'll uh, move on since there seems to be nothing else of interest in this room. But up ahead, down that broad corridor, leaving behind you now is the grassy knolls and the kobos 
in this strange room where you found the neutral Avenger. And you, of course, carrying the staff of spell doubling now. Because, uh, Chip, when we play these sorts of games, usually a big part of the reward is finding these sorts of magical items. Uh, not just leveling up, but uh, getting better and better stuff. Big part of the game. So continuing along that broad passage in the flickering torchlight, and your torch still looks like it's got a good hour left in it, you come to a T-junction. Now it looks like it was once a complete cross-junction, but the way ahead has been blocked by fallen rocks. It seems that part of the ceiling has fallen in here, and it seems to be completely impassable. But to your left, there is a stairway going up, a broad stairway, like a double wide. And to your right, there is a broad stairway going down. And of course, before you, the way is blocked, and it literally looks like actually blocked, like not just something you could move out of the way, but more like a don't-go-past-here sort of situation. And uh, just as you're pondering all this, Oh, I'm afraid you are surprised. There is a howl from that left-hand stairway, and from out of the darkness above you come running four large thugbears. Thugbears often hired as mercenaries or guards in places like this. It means you're getting close to uh, close to the, the, the heart of everything. But the thugbears, completely surprising you, throw their throwing axes down the stairs at you and one of them clatters on the floor next to Mike Tyson the other one actually does hit Mike Tyson for 10 points of damage and another one hits Silas oh no for uh, 11 points of damage and the other one oh no it's gonna hit Dickie for um, 8 points of damage and that was a surprise! Surprise! Yell the, uh, the thug bears as they come charging down the stairs. And, uh, please roll initiative. And, oh, I just got a one! Guys, I got a two. Uh, you guys will oh, win the initiative. Matter. What will you do? Uh, how many of these are there? There are four of them screaming at you and running down the stairs. They're great, hairy, eight foot tall thug bears. I don't think they'd like Heatwave very much. Oh no, not the dreaded heat wave. And I. Uh, heat wave is cast now upon you. Fire sprays out from your fingertips. Please, this is where you want to roll some really high damage. It's going to do 3d6 damage to each one of the thug bears as they come charging down the steps. did 23 damage 23 damage to each of them they scream and holler with rage and i'm gonna make them make a morale roll oh that's the worst thing they could possibly could possibly have rolled and with screams of agony and screams of pain the thug bears prove they ain't so hard after all as these thugs go running down the hall back towards the entrance of the day they're they're still smoldering and uh who knows where they go or whether you might see them again later. But for the moment, you've driven them off. They see them up at the top of the stairs. Silas runs up there and sees it's, it's merely a staging area where they have their, their bunks and things like that. There's nothing really all that valuable up there. But uh, they seem to have been trying to drive you down further, drive you down the, the broad stairway that led down to your right. 
you wish to go down those stairs? I suppose so. Well, I suppose there's only one way to go. We shall descend. Descending down the steps. Your heart begins to beat because there's a reddish flickering light. You know, there's firelight down below, but it's deeper than firelight. It almost looks like lava light. And you walk into a room that has a great, has a huge room, the size of a gymnasium. And there's a huge cleft in the earth here. And there's lava bubbling and boiling in the cleft. Molten liquid rock. And suspended in the air, floating above it and floating towards you. You see, to your shock and horror, the huge floating eyeball with six little stalks with further eyeballs on top of the stalks and a large gaping maw with sharp teeth. You have come upon the Eyed Tyrant, a terrible monster. But, gentlemen, I'm afraid that our cassette tape is almost out. And uh, this has been a little bit shorter than our other two episodes uh, so far, but I think this would be a great place to stop because the battle with the Eye Tyrant is no mean thing to be jumped into with only a few minutes of cassette tape remaining. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. I'll bring some more. Uh, well, we've got more cassette tapes, but for we don't want to. Yeah, so let's end this, this oh, recording. Here we go. I'm ending it right now. All right, and I suppose in real life we should probably go ahead and wrap up too, right? I guess we'll have at least one more adventure of uh, the druids mm-hmm. of Dragondale, and maybe we can even uh, maybe you can defeat the Eye Tyrant, and maybe somebody will maybe we'll even end with a nice wedding. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you guys next time with the epic conclusion of Plunger and Dicky and Chips' latest campaign. Possibly a shorter episode, I guess we'll see. We'll see. We, we'll see. We'll see. There's always a journey back to uh, get married. It's true. It's true. Don't you guys want to get married? Well, Mike Tyson does, for sure. Yeah. In that case, I will say goodbye to everybody for now. 